0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkeger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachainu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear, amen. Our Father and King, we praise you and thank you for being a gracious and loving God, for being a God who has called us into your loving embrace and has provided atonement and sanctification through the blood of the lamb that we may be restored in your presence that we may be able to experience the power and the might of your Hakodesh, your holy spirit and ultimately that we may be able to dwell with you in your heavenly kingdom for all eternity father we thank you for what you've done in this place today we thank you for how you've moved upon our hearts and our lives we thank you for the work of healing that you have already begun and the work of deliverance that you are doing in people's lives. And Father, we ask that as we open up your scripture today that you will speak boldly and firmly into our hearts and our lives, that you will reveal the truth of your word and that you will use me as a blessing for you and for your kingdom. Father, let nothing of me be involved. Let it be your Word speaking forth, your heart received. And Father, let it be your words that are touching us and developing us to being more and more like our Messiah, Yeshua, every single day. Yeshua In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen. This week, we are in Parsha Matod Maseh. It's a double Parsha, rounding out the book of Bemidbar, the book of Numbers. Um, next week, we will roll into Devarim, uh, the... Book of Deuteronomy, a book that I often call the book that should have never been. As we pay attention to this week's Parsha, we realize that at this very moment in time in the scriptures, Israel is standing at the shores of the Jordan River. They are in the Valley of Moab. Um, They can see the promised land on the other side. They are aware, this is now the second generation coming out of Egypt, they are aware of all of the mistakes of their forefathers, of their parents who have passed away in the desert. They are aware of what awaits them on the other side. They are aware of the necessity uh, to rely on the presence of the Lord, to rely on the leading of God as they move forward into the promised land. They are also aware of the difficulty that awaits them. All right, keep in mind they've just experienced their first mode of warfare uh, just a couple of partial back uh, as the, the, the uh, kings of uh, uh, Sihon and Og attack and try to take them out and the, the Lord provides this miraculous victory for them and so on and so forth, and here in this parsha again, we see them going into war as they go and they attack Midian in order to uh, bring a, uh, if you would, a judgment upon from the Lord upon Midian for their leading Israel astray in the, the actions of sleeping with their prostitutes, their temple prostitutes, and giving their hearts in worship to Baal by the leading of the Midianites, and so we see all of this has happened, we see everything that's going on, and we see what's building up. And then we move into the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy basically is a uh, one last opportunity. It takes approximately two weeks of, of the time of the 40 years in the wilderness for, for what occurs throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And it's basically Moses giving one last account and detail of all the good and bad things that happened to Israel, through Israel, by Israel, in the wilderness, leading up to this very moment where they're preparing to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now, as I look at this week's Parsha, uh, or double Parsha, what we see is a whole lot going on, right? Uh, More so than maybe other Parsha that we read. There's so much happening, there's so much going on. The end of this Parsha is, in essence, a recounting of the journeys, the stages of Israel. And I want to encourage you on your own to go back and look at that chapter of Numbers, chapter 35 and and parts of 36, and look at the stages of Israel's journey as they move from uh, Egypt in preparing for the promised land, as they move through the wilderness, you'll notice as you look through these that each and every place that they stopped had a very specific lesson the Lord was teaching them. And sometimes they had to loop back around again. So how many of us in our lives feel like that's, that's sometimes our life? We, we don't quite, you know, maybe we kind of get the idea, but we don't quite learn the lesson enough to stop making the mistake. So God kind of brings us back around and we experience the problems all over again. And then finally we either, you know, awake up or we await the time we go back again. But this is Israel's stages of their journey is numerous accounts. They're going back again to some of the same spots to relearn the lessons. They didn't actually take any from, anything from the last time. And you got to remember they're 40 years in the wilderness was because of their sin of not taking the promised land as God had commanded their, their sin of rejecting what the Lord was leading them to do in going into the promised land. And so there were these lessons that were learned that Israel shouldn't have ever had to learn, at least not in the wilderness. But they had to learn over and over and over again. And oftentimes there was another temptation to fall prey to idolatry or temptation to fall prey to the ways of their own flesh or what have you and over and over again. As we look at this, we, I look at this Parsha and I go, well, geez, these people mess things up a lot, right? The Israel, I mean, over and over, and this whole Parsha is nothing but descriptions of where we've messed up at over and over again. Uh, we see a uh, reminder to go, we're, we're commanded to go and attack the Midianites because we messed up and served the Baalim with them, as opposed to trusting God and worshiping him. Uh, we see the reminder of us falling prey to the temptation that Balaam put on us with that very act, and, and numerous other things. But as I started to look at this, and I think about my own life, and, and I assume maybe some of you about your own lives do the same things, I started to look at this and realize, but there's more to this picture, Right? There's a lot more happening here, and as we've said the last couple of weeks, leading up at least to this Parsha, or these dual Parsha, um, as we look through the, the, the last few uh, parts of Israel's journey in the wilderness, what we realize is it's a continual spiritual warfare, right? Uh, you have the family battles of the, the descendants of Lot and the descendants of uh, Levan or Laban, attacking Israel. You have the spiritual attack of Balaam trying to curse Israel at the behest of of uh, Balak and not being able to, and instead God produces blessing from him, and then later he backtracks. He couldn't do it spiritually, so he backtracks and brings spiritual warfare on the physical sense and leads them astray into worshiping Baalim and so on and so forth. But as I started to think about this, I realized, you know, there's more to this picture, and as there's more to this picture, that means there's actually a greater lesson God's trying to teach Israel and ultimately trying to teach you and I. So we're going to jump a little bit ahead of where we normally would look. We're not going to dive right into the Parsha immediately. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 1. With a dual Parsha, there's actually going to be two passages of the Haptorah readings that we read, uh, but typically speaking, you lure to the second uh, Haptorah Parsha. But uh, Jeremiah one, uh, 1 through 2, 3 is the first Haptorah Parsha, and I want to look real quick at Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Anybody remember who Jeremiah is? How many have read the book of Jeremiah before? Okay, awesome. Jeremiah was a Kohen, right? He was was one of the Kohanim. Uh, He lived in, uh, in essence, what we would imagine to be one of the uh, refuge cities in the, the, the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Kohen. In other words, he was already on track to be something rather important in the nation of Israel, right? He, he had a job lined up for him as per the pater, paternal lineage that he fell into, but then God calls him out and says, all right, you know, I know you're supposed to be a priest, but I'm going to bring you and make you something more, and it's going to be both better and worse for you, all right? So, in verse 5, uh, Adonai says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you prophet to the nations." Then I said, this is Jeremiah speaking, Alas, Adonai, Elohim, look, I don't know how to speak, for I am still a boy. But Adonai answered me, do not say, I am only a boy, for to everyone I send you, you will go, and all I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. It is a declaration of Adonai. Then Adonai stretched his hand and touched my mouth, and Adonai said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I have appointed you over nations and over kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to, uh, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of Adonai came to Jeremiah saying, uh, What do you see And the almond branches and so on and so forth? And this vision continues. It's powerful here, this image that the Lord gives when he says, I have before you were formed in the womb, I knew you, or I, I knew of you, and the actual Hebrew word that's used here in that passage where he says, I knew you, the Hebrew word, the root of that word is yada, and yada means to, to know or to ascertain by seeing, so God was well aware of what he created uh, Jeremiah for, right? Jeremiah wasn't just created to be a priest, but he was created to be a prophet he was created to speak forth. And you've got to understand, a prophet is not one who foretells the future. A prophet is not a biblical prophet, at least, right? A prophet's not one that has a crystal ball and he's rubbing it to see what, or an eight ball that he's shaking around and sees what numbers pop up. A prophet in Scripture is one who declares the word of the Lord. Very often, that word of the Lord does have a future aspect. But even in the future aspect, it's a declaration of what God has already said calling us back to him in full repentance. And if you read through the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, what we see is that these are two prophets that God called out from amidst Israel for the distinct purpose of of awakening Israel to the troubles that were about to befall them because they chose to walk away from the Lord. Kind of sounds like Israel in the wilderness, right? Israel chose to not go into the promised land. What could have been a year journey became a 40-year journey. What really should have been a three-week journey that could have been a year journey became a 40-year journey. What should have been one generation going in ended up being one generation completely lost and the next generation going in. The realities of this is, is God does not call us to and we see this with Jeremiah, He doesn't call us to, to bring forth what people want to hear, but he calls us to bring forth His word. And his word is there to bring uh, a, a realization of our mistakes, to bring an offense to sin or to our, our flesh so that we get back in line with God. And I love the way it says it. He says, I knew you before you were born and set you apart. I appointed you prophet to the nations. And this is a powerful realization because as we go back to Numbers, into this week's Parsha, Numbers 31, we read about the attack on the Midianites and says, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance on the Midianites for Bnei Israel afterward, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, mobilize some of your men for battle, they will go out against the Midianites. Uh, And then going down a little further, verse 6, Moses sent them into battle, 1,000 of each tribe, 12,000 total men, so 1,000 of each tribe, and with them Phinehas son of Eleazar, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and trumpets for signaling. They fought Midian just as Adonai had commanded Moses and killed every male. And we go forward to verse 48 says, then the officers over the units of the army, the commanders over thousands and hundreds came to Moses. They said to them, to him, your servants have counted the heads of men, of the men of war under your command and not one is missing. Not one is missing. All right. Jeremiah is called out of what is a very important role as a priest. He's called forth to speak the word of Adonai. He's called forth to be a prophet, not just to Israel, but to the nations as a whole. And in this, he's called to do something very difficult. This week in the, in the Torah partial, we read of Israel being called to go and attack the Midianites for leading them astray. Uh, God told Abraham, those that bless shall will be blessed, those that curse you will be cursed, right? So here we go to attack, and the very man that ended the plague that was put upon Israel because of their sin, falling prey to the Baalim, uh, that man, the priest, is the one that sent out. Now, if you remember, a priest can't actually come in contact with a dead body, right? So he carries all of the artifacts from the temple that are needed for warfare—the trumpets and so on—and the, or the sanctuary, the tabernacle. And the reason that that's so important is because when we go into Joshua, what we realize is as God commanded through the Torah before that the priesthood went ahead of Israel and prepared the way because the presence of God was leading them and taking them into battle. And both in this warfare, this this series situation of war. In the book of Joshua, the Lord fought and prepared the way for Israel. Notice it says Israel sent 12,000 men. They didn't lose a single person, right? When we go in to do what God has asked of us and we go in faithfully with heart, we go in with the Chavanah, the intention of the heart, to, to wholly and to devotedly follow the Lord with what he's leading. Guess what happens? Things pan out. Things work out the way they're supposed to. So here we see that that these uh, men of Israel go into battle and the Lord provides a miraculous victory. There's not a single person, not a single soul that is lost in the midst of this battle. Then we go forward to Numbers 33, verse 50. I spoke to Moses along the Jordan and the plains of Moab across Jericho, saying, Speak to Ben-Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, skipping to verse 53, you will take possession of the land so you will settle in it because I have given it to you to possess, skipping to verse 55. But if you do not drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, whoever you allow to remain will become the... To you, barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, they will give you trouble in the land in which you are will be living. Then what I have intended to do to them, I will do to you. Now, these words are ominous to Israel. They're ominous to Israel because they literally just went through this. They just experienced this with the Midianites and the Moabites. They just experienced exactly what the Lord is saying here. They just walked it. And he says, when you go into the promised land, you are to dispel the land of every single person. Now, it's important also to understand people like to look at this, the, the, the text here or in Joshua, and they like to go, oh, well, see, the God of the Old Testament is a God of vengeance and hate and, and punishment and destruction and da-da-da-da, whereas da, da, da. the God of the New Testament is a God of love and grace and forgiveness and compassion. But you've got to understand, long before God said, destroy every person in the promised land, he said, give them opportunity to fold into you. Give them opportunity to give their lives to the Lord and to serve me. And if they don't do that, then you get them out of the way because if they remain in the land that I am giving to you as an eternal inheritance, they will lead you astray. Where he says they will be a thorn in your side, what he's saying is they will not only attack you, but they are going to lead you out of the will of God, they are going to lead you just like the Midianites and the Moabites. They will lead you into worshiping false gods, into worshiping idols made by your own hands, into worshiping the gods of the lands around you. One command that God continually gave Israel was to not be like the people around them. That word kadosh, holy, uh, that idea, the zerach, the, uh, righteous, being kadoshim and zerachim. the idea is to be holy, righteous, set apart, to be different from the world around us to not look like everyone else so that they want what we have. And so this, this continual reminder to Israel is going on and then we read about the stages of their journey and throughout the stages of the journey, sometimes they gave, lay, gave way to, to temptation and they were led into sin or they were led into idolatry or they led into whatever else in their journey and God's reminding them here in this Parsha of their mistakes and of the lessons they were supposed to have learned and of the lessons they learned over the path And the lessons they need to remember as they go into the promised land. And then we go to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, God calls him out from the priesthood. Uh, You remember the priests go before Israel in battle and in warfare. The priests go before Israel in their journeys as the Lord is leading them, right? Well, Jeremiah is a priest. So it's by no surprise that God's calling this priest out, not only as a prophet, but to go before the people, to go in front of the people with the presence of the Lord and to speak forth his words and the words of jeremiah over and over again are the lord is going to bring destruction he is going to tear this place down he is going to rid the land of israel just like isaiah though he continually reminded them if you just repent if you just make teshuvah you just return to the lord he will stay this punishment and so jeremiah is called forth and the thing that i find so interesting about the 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 passage we read from jeremiah 1 is that the Lord tells Jeremiah, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that idea of the Hebrew word there uh, came from that concept of not just a physical knowing, but of an ascertaining through, ascertaining through seeing what was going on. So the Lord knew what he created Jeremiah to do, and he saw Jeremiah's life and saw that he was going to be faithful. And he and, he led, them, and led him down this path, and he says, before you were born, I set you apart to appoint you uh, a prophet to the nations, See, Israel knew, uh, God knew Israel, all right? He set them apart for a distinct purpose. And I've said this over and over again, the only reason Israel existed as God's chosen people wasn't because we were so great, because we see over and over again in Scripture, we were quite the opposite of so great, right? We weren't so great at really anything that involved honoring God. But God called us out anyways, and he called us for a very distinct purpose, to be a light to the nations, we were to be set apart righteous and holy so that the nations would see us and want what we have. They would want our relationship with God. They would want to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of what they see in us. But Israel failed at this. Instead, Israel over and over again looked at the nations and wanted what the nations have. You remember in, in Samuel, we ask for a king. Why? So that we can be like all of the other nations around us. What did God specifically not want us to be? like anyone else around us. And so just like Jeremiah where God said before you were formed in the womb I knew you and I called you out to be a prophet to the nations. These are the call this is the calling of Israel. Before he knew us, he called us or before he uh formed us in the womb, he knew us and he called us to be a prophet, a light to the nations. And as we journey through this week's Torah portion, what we see is that God is reminding Israel over and over again of the importance of their role to be a light to the nations. And then he calls Jeremiah out sometime later and says, I need you to go and to be a prophet to the nations, but particularly you're going to speak to Israel. Notice he speaks to Israel, right? He's a prophet to the nations, but he speaks to Israel. And the reason he's speaking to Israel is because he's trying to bring them back to serving God like they're supposed to so they can be a light to the nations. And this is a powerful realization because it's not just Israel. It's not just Jeremiah. It's you and I. I look back at the mistakes in my life. I look back at the, the, the places in my life that I've messed up in over and over again, the places where I, very, at the very least, were, were completely out of God's will. Over and over again, uh, the Lord called me at a very young age to be a rabbi, and for a long time I ran from it, mostly because I looked at what uh, people did to my dad as a rabbi, and, and I didn't want a part of that. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the worst part about ministry is the people, right? Um, and so I didn't want anything to do with that. Don't be offended. I love you all. Um, but I didn't want anything to do with that. And for the longest time, I ran from it. And, and, and I can tell you, from a very young age, I've known what God called me to do. I didn't like the idea. I ran from it. I didn't want anything to do with it at all, I didn't want to go near it for nothing. And I made a lot of mistakes in my life trying to do what I wanted to do as opposed to relying on the Lord. I tried to go in the Marine Corps, it was the only job I ever wanted. I tried three different times to go in the Marine Corps and God provided miraculous door shuts in my face, I mean literally doors slamming in my face uh, in ways that shouldn't have. Uh, the last time I tried to go in, uh, everything was squared away, I was supposed, I went to MEPS to go do height and weight check and, and uh, physical and all of this. I fell a urinalysis, never in my life have I taken drugs, I fell a urinalysis because of diuretics that my recruiter told the trainer they had me working with to give me to help me lose a couple of last pounds of water weight before I went to MEPS. And so it had some weird reaction with my urinary tract and instantly the, the uh, uh, nurse knew what was going on and, and next thing I know I'm sitting in a uh, Marine Corps General's office and getting reamed out. And, uh, and what I can only imagine was just a setup for what was going to happen in, in basic training, um, and uh, and they told me, okay, well you can't go in this time because this is this is something we're not okay with. We don't like this. It's against our regulations. But you've got to wait two weeks. We'll set, schedule you to come back. All you have to do is, is redo your height and weight check uh, and your your analysis. And as long as that all clear, we'll send you straight out to MEPS the next, or straight out to basic next week. And I was like, all right, cool. So we schedule everything out, and and I'm telling you, I was still going and training, uh, working with my recruiter and all this, and I'm on my way home one morning from the recruiter, and and it's like God slaps me in the back of the head. Um, Anybody had one of those moments? I mean, it was like God just slapped me in the back of the head and said, this is not what I've created you and called you to do. And I believe he told me that he shut the last door. If I tried again, he was going to let me have my way and deal with the consequences. And I can tell you right now what I was wanting to go in the Marine Corps for Danielle and I had just been married for about six months at this point, and I can tell you that I would have not seen her for the better part of two years, and that's before I ever get shipped out to any sort of duty station. Um, and so, for the better part of two years, she would have seen me, uh, I wouldn't have seen her, and odds are, um, we likely wouldn't, have, wouldn't be together today. Um, I know, had I gone to the Marine Corps, I likely would not be walking with the Lord today, not because the Marines are gonna make me not be a believer, but um, I, I know that I would have, uh, would have been doing God knows what. And, uh, and finally on that, when I felt what felt like a slap in the back of the head and the Lord was speaking to me and, and I said, all right, well, I just give it to you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a rabbi, but this is what you called me to do. And I'm just going to follow it. And whatever happens, happens. And I called my recruiter up that afternoon and I said, look, I'm going to have to back out of this. I'm not going to, gonna go in and he said why and I tried to explain it to him, he didn't really understand it um, and I got off the phone and from then on I put everything I had into becoming a rabbi. Um, it wasn't what I wanted to do, it doesn't mean I did everything perfect even trying to become a rabbi uh, but the Lord brought me down that path and, and what I realized as I look through this Parsha is that each of us in our own lives, these are, we, we all have similar stories. I mean we may have end up in different places, we may have different callings, we all have similar stories. Right, The Lord is taking us down a particular path. He tells you before I uh, created you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I had a plan for you and I have a purpose for you and I have a direction for you and I have a calling for you and I have something I want you to do that you are specifically talented and gifted for that nobody else can do like I've created you to do. And a lot of times we, just like Israel, run from that calling and we don't want anything to do. We want to get away from it. Uh, and we may fall prey to something over here. And then eventually we may come over here and mess up. And, and God's going to bring us back around and we'll get on the right track. And then we're going to fail and we're going to go off again. But God continually reminds us that he's created us for a purpose. That he's called us for a purpose and a reason. We go to James this week's... Uh, Brech passage, uh, James verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. says, where do quarrels and conflicts among you come? Didn't they come from this, namely your passions that battle within your body parts? You crave and have not. You murder and you envy, yet you cannot get it. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so you may spend it on your passions. You adulteresses. Notice over and over again, when we are are walking astray from the Lord, he calls us adulteresses, right? Not because we're necessarily falling prey to sexual sin, but because anything we do that's serving something other than God is adultery to our first husband. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, or do you think that in vain, the scriptures say, he yearns jealously over the spirit which he made to dwell in us, but he gives us greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice that, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when somebody attacks you, somebody comes after you and they're trying to fight you, I think back to to middle school, high school, whatever, somebody's trying to fight you. If you won't fight them, it doesn't matter who's watching, they're not going to try and throw a punch because they're going to look like an idiot, right? It's just not going to work out. Now, today, that may not be the same case. Today, people are going to run up behind you and stab you in the back just because they can and scream, never mind. Um, Not going to go into that. But uh, (laughs) there was apparently just a knifing attack in, in Belgium this morning, and, uh, and the guy doing it was screaming some words in Arabic that I won't repeat. But um, the reality is, is, is the enemy is just like that. If we just don't give in, eventually he's going to kind of back off. And he, he may not back off forever. He may try to re-strategize, but he's going to back off. But every time we give in to the enemy, I guarantee he's going to lead us astray. If we give in to the temptation of the enemy, he's going to lead us astray from what God has called us for. Because he has, before he formed you in the womb, he saw you and he created you for a distinct purpose. And if you're not walking in that path on that distinct purpose trail, you're off the trail doing what the enemy is leading you to do, which is not fulfilling what God has created you for. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of Adonai, and he shall lift you up. Israel, over and over again, messed up. As a matter of fact, today we still over and over again mess up. Israel refused to open their eyes to the truth of Yeshua's Messiah. God is still calling Israel back into himself. For 2,000 years now, God has been calling Israel back to Himself. He's been calling the Jewish people back, and little by little they've come. But now we're at a point where, by masses and droves, Jewish people are coming to faith. We're finally starting to see Israel, the, the Jewish people, open their hearts to this calling from Isaiah and Jeremiah to return back to God. You and I have the same calling. You and I have this same propensity to mess up. You and I have the same possibility to be led astray by the enemy. But what the Lord is saying is if we merely trust in Him, if we walk with Him, if we stay close to Him, we allow Him, just like Israel going into the promised land, we allow Him to fight the battles for us, to prepare the way for us. All we have to do is walk. It's an easy journey when we rely on him. That doesn't mean there won't be outside persecution. That doesn't mean there won't be attacks. That doesn't mean our family won't give us crap. That doesn't mean our friends won't turn their backs on us. But if we walk faithfully and fervently doing what God has called us to do, because you got to understand, the purpose of Israel, the reason he called us out to be a light unto the nation, that hasn't changed. And I'm going to throw a shocker in there for you. Romans says that that the the Jewish people had blinders on their eyes to Messiah so that the nations would have opportunity to come in, right? So the nations, as Romans says, becomes a part of spiritual Israel. They're grafted in the root and the fatness of the olive tree. They become a part of Israel, which means the calling of the nations brought in is to be a light to the nations, right? Because if you're part of Israel, your calling is still the same purpose, to be a light to the nations. Lo and behold... In closing, Matthew chapter 28 says, And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, Verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, light to the nations. Nothing's changed. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's really easy to say when he says, go therefore and make disciples, they go, all right, I'm on board. And start running out to go and share Messiah with the nations and with anyone we can come into contact with. And the first time we get a no, or the first time somebody spits in our face, Or the first time somebody makes us look like an idiot who had just been pantsed in front of the entire community. We automatically assume the Lord isn't with us. We automatically give in to what the enemy is trying to do, which is to lead us astray. And we veer off the path of God. But Yeshua says, Know that I will always be with you, even until the end of the ages. He's never left us. Things may get rough, but he's never left us. He is still the same God that led Israel through the wilderness by the leading of the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God, that led Israel into the promised land by the leading of the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God, that led Israel into battle as they took the promised land by the leading of the Shekhinah, the divine glory of God. That divine glory of God has never left you or I. And he's still this day telling us Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I created you for a distinct purpose. I've created you for something that nobody else can fill the shoes for. The question is, are we going to boldly take that challenge to trust the Lord and to know that he is with us and that he will never leave us or forsake us? Are we going to take the encouragement that Joshua received to be strong and courageous and know that the Lord is with you? Are we going to take the calling of Jeremiah to be a real calling for our own lives? Not necessarily the exact same calling, but the words that the Lord spoke. Where he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. Each of us have been called to the nations. That's a command given to every single follower of Yeshua. And we live in a day and age now where we have no options but to fervently share the message of Messiah with anybody we come into contact with. First with our lives, and then with our words, once they see the truth of the presence of the living God in our midst. We live in a day where hours, weeks, months are running short. We live in a day. How many of you just on any given day just absolutely feel like there's not enough hours in the day. And I'm not just talking about trying to get work done, trying to get your yard taken care of, trying to get the trash out, trying to take care of your kids. I mean, just in general, the day is over and you realize you had about 30,000 things left to do. There just wasn't enough time. Add to that the reality that we are called for a very specific purpose, to be a light to the nations. And that time that we're wasting, that time that we're throwing away, the enemy's using those opportunities where we feel like there's just not enough hours in the day or not enough days in the week, not enough uh, weeks in a month, not enough uh, months in the year. The enemy's using that, that illusion that we deal with on a daily basis to keep us handcuffed from doing what God's called us to do. So I want to encourage you, go back in this Parsha. Go back through the book of Deuteronomy. Look at some of the errors that Israel made. Look at some of the lessons they were supposed to have learned. Look at some of the things that God called his prophets to do. Look at the way that he impacted and moved upon his people. And then look back at your own life. And look and see what God's done in your life that's the exact same way where we veered off and he very gently led us back to the path of righteousness. Or we veered off hardcore and he had to smack us and bring us back over by yanking us on the the collar of our shirt. But notice he's never once walked away from us. He's never once left us. He's never once stopped calling us to do what he's created us to do. That's both true for the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer... Is constantly being pulled and tugged at the heart by the truths and the promises of the Lord. They may not realize it, they may not recognize it, they may not understand it, but the Lord is drawing them. And I believe He has prepared a harvest for us of people whose heartstrings are being tugged by the Lord of all creation. And that harvest is just waiting. Are we going to let the illusions that the enemy puts in our path hinder us from doing what God's called us to do? Are we going to keep falling prey to temptation and sin? Or are we going to walk fervently with the Lord knowing that He's created us for a purpose that nobody else can fill? Are we going to share the truth of Messiah with anyone and everyone who will take the time to listen? First with our lives, And the redemption that God has brought us. We're going to walk in that redemption. Notice James says anyone that wants to be a friend of the world is not a friend of God. What he's saying is is if you would rather look like the world, act like the world, and be in the world, you are not of God. Because we're supposed to look different, be different, act different, so that everybody looks at us and wants what we have. And that's quite possibly the hardest thing to do. Because the world around us doesn't like different. It doesn't matter how much they proclaim that you can be as different as you want. They don't like different. They especially don't like anything that makes them uncomfortable. And guess what the gospel does? Makes us uncomfortable because it calls out sin in our lives. It offends sin in our lives. So I want to encourage you with the words of Matthew 28 in closing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you and remember, I am with you always, even till the end of the ages. The Lord will not leave us or forsake us, especially as we walk on the path of His calling and walk in His righteousness. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship You, we love You, we adore You. And Father, we thank You for being a God who has called us to do great things with fear and trembling before our Lord, who has called us to be humble so that You can work boldly through us, We thank you for being a God who has created us for distinct and individual purposes, for the greater unity and the good of your kingdom, of your body, of your bride. That each of us are a various part of the same body, some arms, some legs, some eyes, some ears, some mouths. But we work together so that many may come to find the truth of Messiah Yeshua and the eternal life awaiting us in the presence of our Heavenly King and Father. Abba, we thank you for calling us from the world that we live in to be tzedekim, to be righteous ones, to be Kedoshim, to be holy ones, to be an image of Yeshua in the world around us. And Father, we boldly desire to walk in your ways and to trust that you are with us. We desire to be strong and courageous and know that you go before us. And Father, we're hungry for seeing you use us for your purposes, for your will, and for your kingdom. The Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen.